Welcome to Family Business Today, where we feature prominent local and national family business owners. We also talk to top family business experts to discuss relevant topics, including communications, business culture, family relationships, succession and estate planning, values, as well as conflict resolution. Brought to you by the Tennessee Center for Family Business, I'm your host, Greg Lewis. Our guest today is Steve French, president of The Signatory, a global Christian foundation that helps families build a legacy through estate planning. On today's podcast, we will be talking about how families can create a charitable giving strategy for their family and their business. Steve, thank you for joining us today. So let's start out by telling us a little bit about The Signatory and your focus on transformational generosity. Yeah, thank you. I'd love to do that. The Signatory is a 501c3 that was founded almost 20 years ago, uh, originally out of Kansas City. And the real vision was that we would educate and facilitate revolutionary biblical generosity. And we do that across a generational platform or scale. And the purpose of that was to solve some of the world's greatest problems. And so we have been engaged in that uh, now here in June of this year will be our 20th anniversary. Mm. Uh, we've had the Happy great privilege. Yeah, thank you. We've had the great privilege of seeing families and helping them steward some $3.2 billion uh, that have come through our foundation. And about $2.7 billion of that has uh, already gone out to the kingdom uh, to uh, invest in the things that are important to uh, to God. All right, great, great. Well, thank you very much, and congratulations on the anniversary. And uh, certainly, uh, uh, you're making making a difference there. So today, we're really we're talking about charitable giving strategies. So define what having a charitable giving strategy is for a family or a business. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, as we have the privilege to go out and meet with. Uh, uh, families all throughout the country. One of the things that's uh, quite amazing uh, when you're first asking questions and getting to know people is the vast majority of our families are business owners, which I think is uh, really appropriate to your audience. And what we find is that there's virtually no business owner at this point in time that does not have a vision statement, that doesn't have a mission, and doesn't have a set of values that support uh, those two things in their business. But when you sit down and talk to families, very few families have a vision mm-hmm. and a mission and a set of values that they have either articulated verbally or, and more importantly, have memorialized in, in the, some form of a document. Yet they're often surprised at how their family doesn't have a vision uh, for giving Uh, And so what we want to do is we want to help people in the the early stages is to develop a family vision statement around giving, Mm -hmm. around where would God have us give his resources. And so that becomes really exciting because when families catch that vision, uh, one of the things that we have learned over time is that families may argue and fight and feud and disagree (laughs) over a lot of monetary issues relative to the business. But when they get engaged in giving to something that's outside of themselves, it takes on a whole nother uh, uh, component. And we have seen that that ability to communicate around an idea and a purpose that their family is 
standing for and engaged in mm. also translates over into when they then have to have these difficult family decisions about you know transition of the family business from leadership or the sale or liquidation of the family business or other things mm-hmm. that families have to go through and discuss. They're already equipped and they've already set a platform and a, and a communication style that they learned while they were cooperating and coordinating on the charitable giving side that helps them significantly uh, on the business side, if you will. Hmm. So it's quite quite exciting to see when that occurs. It is it, very much so. It is. Well, well, listen, Steve. I I, I meet with a lot of uh, uh, founders, uh, and and sometimes they decide they're not going to uh, 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 transition their their family business to the next generation, uh, but they're going to sell it. So they're going to be going to be having a, a major. Uh, event in which uh, they're uh, probably going to be, uh, receive more uh, cash uh, assets, uh, wealth than they've ever had in their life. And um, and when you start talking about charitable giving to them, they, they, they back up and say, wait a minute, I've worked all my life to make this money and earn this money. Now I'm receiving that. And so why why is it important? that charitable giving is a part of your um, of your life yeah great question and uh, you know of course the signatory is a faith-based organization and so our first answer would be uh, uh, couched in the foundation of our biblical tenets and uh, we would say to a family who asked that question well, first of all, the word says that everything, the work of our hands, mm-hmm. the blessings that we receive, the gifts, talents, and skills that we receive, all are a gift from God. And mm-hmm. so uh, the word also tells us that uh, all of the, our possessions, the, as the as Scripture says, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord. So therefore, mm-hmm. I think we like to direct people to the question of, first of all, saying, I I am a steward. I'm not an owner. And that's a really difficult leap for some people. I know it was for me in my life. So could uh, you tell us what the owner. difference is? What, what's the difference in that? What would you say? Would yeah, you? I'm happy to tell you the difference because think about it. If you are the owner of something, it's it's yours. You have total autonomy or possession of it. Then you do with it what you desire. It's it's uh, it's up to you to determine what you mm-hmm. will do with it mm-hmm. uh, against a set of values that you set. Mm-hmm. But if you are a steward in the biblical sense, you're recognizing that all that I have belongs to another owner. And that owner is the, is the Lord, the God of the universe. And so, therefore, my first question has to be, owner, what would you have me to do with your assets that you've given me to steward? And so it, it with families, it starts a really incredible, I think, journey in question. And with our faith-based families, they, you know, they're probably already there, but they really have to stop and say, how much is enough? Uh, you know, I, I've been re- blessed richly and uh, uh, as my business prospered, but I'm at that point where I'm about to go from operating a business to managing money. I'm still a steward. And so, Lord, how would you have me to steward your assets? Where would they go and 
what in what portions and how much is enough for my family to live on and what is a proper inheritance because uh, we know the word says that we we are to leave an inheritance to the generations mm-hmm. but what does that look like how much do i give that doesn't hurt that helps and you know, a lot of a lot of questions to kind of unravel and then here again back to my comment about communication uh, and then even once you've done that, how to communicate that mm-hmm. to my family and how much to communicate to my family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So, um, uh, I mean, you're, 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 we're really talking about, we hear this word legacy uh, mentioned uh, all along is, is what, what are we going to leave after we're gone? So how do you explain the importance of building a legacy to your clients for the family and uh, for their business? Yeah, great, great question. You're right. That word does get thrown around a lot. And I think it means uh, one thing to uh, to certain groups and another thing to others. Uh, I think when we look at that here again through the lens uh, biblically, uh, a legacy is something that you leave uh, that's going to be lasting and it's going to be meaningful and it's going to have uh, a, a enduring value. And so, I mean, that can fall into a lot of categories. Mm-hmm. I think for, for most patriarchs that I talk to, I include myself in that. Uh, I, my wife and I have two daughters who are married, and we have four grandsons, and we're blessed to have them. Our, our greatest legacy and desire of our heart would be that they would come to know Christ and that that would be uh, the the standard by which they live Mm -hmm. because what we know is we know that sure we want to leave them money and we want to leave them a a family name that has a good reputation and is seen well but they can't take any of that with them through eternity and Mm -hmm. so our primary focus would be on those things from a standpoint of our legacy that are eternal that are not going to go away Mm -hmm. um but we are very interested also in setting here again, back to vision and mission as a family, really focusing in on those things that uh, that our family stands for, that we want to be known in the community as, um, you know, um, uh, projects or or areas that we wanted to have, make an impact in. Uh, and not only just one time, but an impact that would here again last throughout the generations. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, you've you've brought you brought up this uh, uh, values, family values thing uh, 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 a few times there. You know, uh, uh, we always say that family is family and business is business, and never the two shall meet unless you work together in a family business. <laughs> so, exactly right. <laughs> so can uh, can can or can or are family values and business values in the case of, of a family business the same or can they be different or um, how does that look to you? Yes. I, I mean, I think they, they absolutely can be the same and I think that they often are, but you, you can have some, some uh, variation. Uh, I think that when we're thinking of values, we're thinking about things, first of all, that, start with character uh, issues that start with integrity. So you can absolutely have a family value that says uh, honesty is an important component at all times within our family. 
uh, I would easily see that that would be a characteristic that you'd want to translate to your business as well. Uh, you know, being a being a, a family that has a servant heart or mentality, we're here to serve others, uh, not to be served. Uh, I can think that that is also an incredible characteristic uh, to operate a business by that that idea of serving, not being served. Um, you know, in integrity, uh, you know, we're, we're going to live in such a way that, uh, you know, God's word would say above reproach. In other words, where someone can't accuse us of uh, wrongdoing or those things that would be uh, unseemly. I would think that that is a characteristic that here again would bode well inside of any business. So we could go down through a list of things I think that would be absolutely sure. completely and totally trans transferable yeah yeah you know it's interesting i uh i had the i've had the good fortune of working with ken blanchard uh, the one minute manager and really one of the uh thought leaders in the whole area of servant leadership and someone that i call friend and um uh really helped me uh to really understand this perspective of servant leadership and so uh, uh on all of my emails and at the end of any meeting or conversation, uh, I always say, how may I serve you today? And uh, I've found in the business uh, world is, uh, one is, as people are uncomfortable, you're asking uh, how, how you know, they're, they're not used to that. And, I, and some who know me well say, Greg, I know you're going to ask me that. I really need to be thinking about that because I know you'll do that. So, uh, uh, but yeah, that's that servant heart is very, very important, and, and really, I think in legacy and also in this whole idea of charitable charitable giving. There, and by the way, congratulations, two daughters and four grandsons. I I have three daughters and one grandson, and uh, so I, I I believe you're going to surpass me. I think I, I may be at the end. Of, of, yeah, you can always catch up. I can always catch up. I can always <laughs> catch up. So, um, so let's say a family uh, is is considering selling their business, uh, uh, but they really never had any kind of a, um, a, a, a char charitable giving strategy. What are some things they should consider uh, in in developing a charitable giving strategy? Should it be before the uh, event, or should it be after, or, or and what should they consider? Yeah, really, really good question. Matter of fact, if I had to pick one question that business owners should uh, probably ask themselves, it would be that question: What action should I take? prior to the sale of my business. Uh, and I would answer that, by just telling you just a really quick story. That's, is, mm -hmm. that's, uh, hap you know, happened to me. I've, my wife and I've had the great privilege of owning a number of businesses mm -hmm. that we've exited from the last of which was in, uh, uh 2016. Okay. And, uh, and before we exited that business, we, went through a very detailed checklist of uh, state planning and, and uh, we thought about, uh, you know, what was I going to do after I left uh, the C-suite and yeah, just a long checklist of things. Had really great advisors, uh, uh, both tax and legal. Um, 
everybody on my team knew that uh, that we were very charitably minded and that had been our life for a long time. But not one person asked me the question about where there or actually told me uh, there were things that I could have done prior to the sale that mm-hmm. would, would have been very tax advantageous. But number two, would have really enhanced our post-transaction capability of giving to things we cared about. So um, in April of 2016, after we closed our transaction, I was at a seminar. And at that seminar, I found out that I could have given uh, membership in my LLC prior to the sale. Mm-hmm. In other words, you could ha- I could have had a letter of intent in place, but as long as I had not signed a purchase agreement, I could have actually given a portion of my business, my choice as far as a percentage of that, mm-hmm. uh, to someone like the signatory. It could have mm. been put into the signatory trust. I would have gotten an immediate in that tax year uh, tax deduction for the fair market value of that gift. Uh, and then upon signing a purchase agreement and then a sale, then whatever I had gifted into that donor advised fund trust would have escaped without paying any capital gain tax and would have set up a, a, a fund, if you will, for us to do charitable giving from. So the the mathematics that very quickly are whatever that fair market value amount was, it would have saved me 40% of that number in immediate taxation. So to just say you take a million dollars of a gift, 40% of that's $400,000. So by having done that, I would have immediately saved 400,000 real dollars that I wound up paying Mm -hmm. the IRS. And then I would have saved another 20% of that gift amount that I would have paid in capital gain tax. So by doing that, I would have saved, you know, in the first year, 60%, if you will, of my gift amount just in taxation. That's real dollars that I wound up paying to the IRS that could have gone to my charitable giving. Mm-hmm. I, when I found that out in April after I had closed in January, I was furious. Sure. Uh, you know why I, no one told me that, why I didn't know about that. Uh, and actually was the thing that later in that year, you know, really became my passion and my drive to join the signatory and be able to kind of share that story with business owners so at least they're informed about what their options are prior to a sale, and they don't wind up uh, doing what I did. That mistake cost me about a million eight hundred thousand dollars of money that would have gone charitably that wound up going uh, to the federal government. Mm-hmm. Well, if if uh, our listeners don't learn anything else uh, from our time together, is uh, Thank you for informing us about our listeners about some options on how to. Uh, and we, we say uh, we give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and what's the Lord, what's the Lord's. But uh, being a good steward is also uh, knowing the tax laws and being able to uh, put the money where it can best be used. So, so thank you for sharing that. So, uh, so you know, uh, uh, we go to church. Uh, uh, every Sunday, a lot of our listeners are, are attending church, whatever, and they write a check or they 
do a debit or they give cash into the offering plate or whatever. What are some options beyond uh, giving cash to the church or, or even giving to their favorite nonprofit organization? Right. Well, this is one of the things that I think uh, people are catching on to that, that uh, is fueling the increase in the numbers of people using donor-advised funds. It is an incredibly good tool. It's actually been around as a, as a vehicle to use, believe it or not, since 1917. But hmm. it's only been about the last 10 years that you have seen the use of donor-advised funds uh, accelerate. And the advantage there is this. Uh, it, most business owners probably are in that cycle where uh, they get to the end, fairly close to the end of a tax year. They meet with their tax advisors and they find out, well, we, we have this capacity to be able to give X amount of dollars before the end of the year. And there's a mad rush to do so because, you know, you don't want to miss the deduction opportunity. And then, uh, then you have to decide, okay, so what do we give to what groups and in what amounts? So it's always uh, can be kind of, you know, uh, exciting and tension-filled all at the same time. Hmm. The advantage of a donor advice fund is that any time during the year you can make those contributions into your fund and you get an immediate tax deduction when you do that. Hmm. So you're not required to then make immediate distributions. As a matter of fact, you could actually make those distributions in the next tax year or any time in the future when you so choose. There's no mandatory uh, percent or requirement to make grants out of a donor advised fund. But once you make a contribution in, whenever you made that is when you get the deduction. Mm-hmm. So it's a much easier, less stress-filled way, I believe, uh, to give. Um, you know, we, we recommend to people that you do all of your charitable giving through your donor advised fund. Uh, it is also a vehicle by which you can be anonymous if you so choose. Um, and to not only your church, if you choose to do that, but also Mm -hmm. to any other entity, because the contribution, once it comes into your donor advised fund and then is granted out, it comes from the donor advised fund sponsor, like the signatory. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the donor advisor, which is the person who manages or holds the account, uh, you know, can either choose to be visible or invisible in the, as it relates to that. So the flexibility of it uh, is really, I think, uh, exceptional. And then one thing that I think people will really appreciate is the fact that today, if you're giving out of your checkbook, everything you gave to, you got to wait it, you know, in the first quarter of the next year to get your donation receipt mm. from them so yeah. that you can do your tax return. If you're using a donor advised fund, you only get one receipt, and that comes from your donor advised fund sponsor. So it's just a lot easier, much uh, simpler, and you're not having to wait around for, you know, pick a number of how many uh, 501c3s you chose to give to. Mm-hmm. Give to. Okay, very good, very good. So, Steve, um, you know, uh, we've been we've been successful, but we're we're not real wealthy people. Whatever it it sounds to me like this donor advice fund is for people who have lots of money. What 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 type of uh, person is there a minimum of of having a donor advice fund? Uh, what what's what's the requirements for that? 
Yeah. So they're different uh, for different donor advised fund sponsors. Mm -hmm. Some have minimum uh, deposit requirements. Mm -hmm. Some have minimum fees that they charge, regardless of balance. Uh, the signatory, when we began, we chose because of our, uh, you know, commitment and our mission to serve generationally. We wanted the playing field to be equal and even for every generation. So the, the proof of that is, number one, we don't have any minimum account balances. Okay. So therefore, there's no minimum account fee. Uh, the only minimum that we have is on granting. Uh, we would um, limit that to uh, $100 or more oh, okay. in an individual grant out. But, but as far as money coming in, there's no minimums uh, and obviously no maximum. Sure, sure. So from that standpoint, that's, again, that's designed to support every giver at every uh, okay. size and capacity. Um, the way we have also allowed... Uh, investment of the assets in the donor advised fund uh, by the donor advisor, uh, there's no minimums there either. So typically, most funds will require you to have at least 300000 or more mm -hmm. in your fund before you could have a separate investment advisor manage that for you. Mm -hmm. uh, here again, because of our generational interest there, we thought that was unfair. Why should grandfather be able to have his money managed professionally that's in the fund that's not getting granted out quickly? Mm -hmm. And grandson, who has a much smaller amount, be penalized and not have those same options. So mm -hmm. we, we've taken all those barriers away so that here again, not only is it fair, but it's also an opportunity for teaching. And we've learned that generosity has to be taught. And so it provides a great level playing field to be able to teach your kids, your grandkids, your great grandkids, um, the benefits and the joy of being generous. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. So, uh, um, again, uh, there are a lot of, of, of big names out there who, who, um, are creating a legacy through charitable giving, but do you have any examples that you could share of, of a family business that's been successful in creating a legacy through charitable giving? Yeah, I, we have the great privilege uh, to have served with the uh, Green family, who are the founders and owners of the Hobby Lobby yeah. uh, retail chain. And uh, we're currently working with four generations wow. of the Green family as it relates to this. Uh, they do all of their giving, not through a private foundation, but through uh, various donor advised funds mm -hmm. that the signatory uh, helps them uh, uh, implement. And, uh, you know, here again, all these things that we've been talking about, uh, developing a family vision, uh, developing a, a, a specific mission, and developing a set of values that transcend one generation to the next, uh, they've done such a great job with. And... Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, they, here again, my comment about uh, uh, learning how to work together. Uh, they have um, committees, if you will, of family members uh, that uh, 
across the generations. Right now, they have just uh, uh, three generations of funds, but each generation has a committee uh, of their peers, and they come together once a month, and they receive uh, uh, requests from various organizations, and they pray together, and they discuss, and hmm. then they determine collectively what are the things that they will uh, – you know, we'll grant to. And so in that three generation uh, tier, they're teaching and then giving actual opportunity to apply that across the generations. And it's such a here again, I think a beautiful model of, of what we've been talking about earlier today of of teaching this idea of, uh, of biblical generosity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that that would to me, they are there. There are others that we have the privilege of working with, but uh but they would absolutely be a model to uh, to hold up. Well, thank you for sh- thank you for sharing that, Steve. Um, yeah, um, I think a lot of times when uh, I'm I'm meeting with a family and we're talking about uh, just uh, organizational, operational, and communication problems and relational problems across generations. I think one of the biggest uh, challenges that, that there is is as the business owner uh, calls it my company instead of our company. And uh, I think the Green family is a great example of that is, is that they, it is their company uh, and they're working on it together to make decisions. It's not the decision of the owner being made and then the rest of the family members just being doers and carrying it out, but are not really involved in the decision making. So a great, a great example uh, for, for a lot of, a lot of families that are in business together. Well, we're sort of coming to the end of our uh, uh, morning together. Uh, Steve, what are some closing thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners uh, today? Yeah, I think I just want to encourage your listeners that uh, um, to to really dig into God's word and to take a look at God's original plan for family. I think that the plan we see for family today is that we raise our kids and we raise them to be uh, independent. And many of us have kids. Uh, Debbie and I are blessed that our kids are still in our close proximity, but many kids move off to different places of the country and, you know, they become really independent in every aspect of their life. But as we look at God's word, God really made us all to be relative to family interdependent on one another. Mm. And so I think the society that we live in has moved us so far to, to this place of independence that when we come together as families in times of, of um, events like businesses selling or the death of a, of a family member, which requires uh, a settling of an estate or many aspects in life that happen, we come then with these independent views and independent ideas about what family should be. And often they're very different or disparate in their in their form and then we find we have a real hard time coming together and making decisions because we've had no practice at it Mm 
And we don't have any interconnectedness, no interdependency. And so one of the things that I want to encourage uh, people to do is uh, the Signatory has developed a series of of, uh, seminars. They're called Family Legacy Seminars. And the first module that we teach in a 24-hour period of time is really focused around this idea of what did God make family uh, to do. Mm-hmm. And then the second module is about communication and how do we communicate that. So it's all about family and it's all about um, how we work together to accomplish the thing that God set about for us for the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, that's not one generation. If you look in Scripture, it's generally always many generations, mm-hmm. sometimes 40 or 50. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Well, well, Steve, thanks for sharing that. That's, uh, you know, uh, uh, my wife, Jennifer, and I and my sister and her husband are caring for my 94-year-old uh, mother who is not in very good health, still lives at home. Uh, we have sitters, but... Uh, we provide uh, evening and weekend care for, and I, I can tell you that uh, uh, for the last two years since my father died in 1992, that uh, the, the around-the-clock care that's been needed for her is is physically, mentally, emotionally, and sometimes I'll have to honestly say spiritually uh, wearing upon us, but as you said, though, is because uh, we have that strong faith and background is 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 at the same time i I feel blessed and honored to, to be able to serve my mother in this latter part of her life by being here so uh, thank you thank you for thank you yeah. for reminding us of that yes amen Steve thank you for being our guest on family business today to learn more about the signatory and its mission visit their website at www.thesignatory.com. Steve is the author of the book, Investing in Faith, where Steve explains that it's possible to have great financial performance and investments that align with faith-based values. You can order his book on Amazon. To our listeners, thank you for joining us for the Family Business Today podcast. Brought to you by the Tennessee Center for Family Business, located in Nashville, Tennessee, our passion helps families create a positive environment where the family thrives, the business performs, And one day, you can celebrate a successful transition. Whether you're a business owner looking to grow your family business or you're wanting to prepare to someday sell or transition the business to the next generation, consider joining a family business mastermind group hosted by the Tennessee Center for Family Business. To learn more about the Tennessee Center for Family Business, and visit our website at www.tncfb.com. Until next time, thanks for joining us. 